We are in part 14 of our Being Jesus series, and we need both your Bible and we're going to have some stuff up on the screen. So grab a Bible, have that on your lap ready to go. We'll have the rest of the scripture on the screens. But I want to be, I want to begin our time together with someone you may be familiar with in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Elijah. Uh, I know we're doing a Being Jesus series and it's through the New Testament, but I think there's something that we need to kind of lock into our hearts before we get moving too far ahead. And it has to do with one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, and his name was, was Elijah. Now, when you think about this guy and hear about this guy, you're going to think, if anyone was a superhero, it was probably this guy, right? Let me, get, let me give you kind of an idea on what he did and how kind of he lived. He stopped the rain in an entire country. That's awesome. Now, it sounds like somebody just did that kind of around here, right? You wonder if there's some Elijah running around shutting stuff down, right? Uh, at his word, it says that he would stop the rain from falling. As a matter of fact, it stopped for years from one guy praying before the Lord. He was fed by ravens, the birds. Seriously, how weird is that? Every morning and every night when he was on one particular trip for God, birds flew in and gave him, uh, uh, he was right by a brook so he had water, they gave him meat and bread. That's gross, right? I mean, you had the birds just like, yak, and it just kind of coughs it up on, you know, and you're like, thank you, Lord. That was all, where'd you, where'd you get it from? I don't even want to know, right? Uh, there's like barbecues being raided everywhere, just, you know, so he picks it up and he flies it in. Fed by birds, he did a miracle of never-ending flour and water for a widow. And it lasted up to maybe years, where her jar of flour was never empty. Her jar of oil never went dry. What kind of miracle is that? He raised the dead. He raised a boy from the dead. Quote, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again. Elijah was the guy that called down fire on the top of Mount Carmel, right? Where it's him against 450 guys on the other team. And he said, hey, let's do a showdown. You prepare a sacrifice. I'll prepare one. The real God, I'm tired of hearing you say, you got a God, I got a God. Listen, let's just go head to head right now, public. If your God answers by fire, which allegedly he's pretty good at, you keep saying that in your stories, whichever God responds by fire, we'll worship him. In front of everyone, fire comes screaming out of the sky, burns up the sacrifice. That's craziness. He prayed the rain back on. He was fed by an angel twice. He stood against kings and prophesied their death at risk to himself. He called more fire down from heaven and burned up 100 people alive with fire. This guy's like crazy, yeah? And here's the other thing. He never died. He was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire, never even died. So if you want to talk about a life, now we should all look at that and go, wow, right? It's a pretty impressive life. I don't know, I don't know how many miracles you've done, but uh, that's pretty radical. Uh, if you are able to call down fire from heaven, there's something, something special about you, right? I mean, we look at this guy and we think, man, 
If there was ever like an Avenger superhero guy, this has got to be the guy. He should, you know, he definitely should wear a leotard or something like that, right? And, and a cape if it's cool. He's doing all this extraordinary stuff. And we look at that and we go, that is a whole nother quality of person. That's a whole nother type of person. It's so nice that God has people like that throughout history. And that's where we make the mistake. What you do not remember and what is not highly remembered is that the same guy who called down fire at the top of the mountain was later in a cave, depressed, scared out of his mind. And he cried out to God and said, I just want to die. I want to give up. I'm tired of doing all this. Everybody's against me. I feel like I'm all alone. I'm a complete mess. Lord, just kill me now. You don't remember that, do you? You only remember the flashy stuff. Only remember how everything looks so good on the outside. And if there was a guy who could do all these miracles, he must have had it all together. He must be perfect in every way. And when he goes home, he has the best quiet times. And he's the one that every time he calls out to God, God instantly responds. He was there in a cave, despondent. God was not responding. As a matter of fact, three times things would happen outside the cave and he would go and he would go, maybe God is going to talk to me now. I feel so alone. And God wasn't in that. He wasn't in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the sound of the wind. And then in a still small voice, finally God talks to him. And you know what he says? Elijah, what are you doing here? What do you mean? What am I doing here? I'm totally depressed. I'm messed up. I mean, I got, I was trying to do stuff for you. Now everybody wants to kill me and nobody's on my team and I'm all by myself and God rebukes him. Great. When God finally talks to you, it's a rebuke. And he's like, first of all, dude, there's thousands of prophets around here that haven't bowed their knee to anybody else. No, you're not alone. Stop allowing your circumstances to dictate your theology. Listen, I am your God get up and let's go again. We forget that. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is because of this passage. Turn with me to the book of James, James 5.13. Uh, in the Bibles, maybe under the seat in front of you, if you're in one of our sanctuaries, it's page 1013. All right, so it's right after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. I think this is a critical passage, and if you ever want to underline in your Bible, hey, you know what, if it's one of, uh, one of the Bibles here in the sanctuary, underline this one, right? Somebody's got to see this. They've got to go back and see this again. So when they open it up, hey, I wonder why this is underlined. Because this is important. This is critical. All right? I have such an encouraging message for you tonight. Did I mention that? I have an encouraging message for you this whole weekend. It's very exciting. All right? You're not excited? All right, we're going to keep going. James chapter 5, verse 13. Check this out. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. You're like, why would I do that? Nothing ever happens. Oh, right. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. For Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's not a superhero. 
Elijah was just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You underline that one. Why? Because we just read about a guy that you thought was a totally different sort of person. That you thought, I'm glad God has those kinds of people around. You are those kinds of people. And Elijah says it blatantly right there in scripture. Elijah was a man just like us. And extraordinary things happened. Why? Because it's not the guy, it's the God. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the guy. It's not us. It's God. And so it was saying, listen, the same nature. Elijah has the same nature as us. Well, God would never do anything crazy like that through me. Why not? If God needs to get it done, he'll get it done. That's it. It's not the person that does it. It's God. So when we walk into our passage for tonight, and we're talking about how uh, Jesus called out of all of his disciples, he called 12 and named them apostles. We're going to look at these guys and we're going to go, oh, those are more superheroes. Look at what these guys are going to do. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Man, it is superhero central. They're doing stuff that just blows your mind. So Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote volume two. And it was Jesus hung out with them and then they were on fire. That's really how it goes. So you read the book of Luke and then you read the book of Acts. Acts is a listing of what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they went out and the acts of the apostles were amazing, right? Let me give you an idea. Peter walks on water in the gospels, right? We're going to talk about that. They experienced Pentecost with all its wonder. Peter heals a man who never walked. Peter condemns Ananias and Sapphira to immediate death. You know that story? He literally looks at someone and says, you're going to die now. Bye-bye. And they die. That's crazy. I hope no one has that gift here in this church. Because at some point you're going to get ticked off at me. And I don't want any of that. All right. Check this one out. Even Peter's shadow would fall on people and heal them. What? That's weird. Right? All the disciples did signs and wonders, casting demons, healing people everywhere. They were let out of prison by angels more than once. They made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. They raised a woman to life who happened to be named Dorcas, which is funny to me. But it was not just the apostles, it was the deacons. Philip did signs and wonders and miracles. Stephen did signs and wonders and miracles. You know Paul the apostle, right? He wasn't even one of the twelve. Paul the Apostle heals a man crippled from birth, got back up from being stoned to death, made it through flogging, shipwrecks, torture, imprisonment, cast out demons, raised a child from the dead. It says even Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs healed people and cast out demons when they were laid on them. Man, do you understand? This is weird. This is craziness. This is like God central doing all kinds of miracles and power. And we look and we go, oh, those were the apostles. No, they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men. I entitled this message, Average Ordinary Men, for a reason. They are not a whole different kind of person. God is the one who brought all that power. 
They're just fulfilling what God built them to do and set them to do. Their job was availability and obedience. The results were God's. And that is why we are here. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. I want to show you something. Acts chapter 3 verse 12, page 911. Acts chapter 3 verse 12. What we have to break in our thinking is this idea that there were magical people in the Bible and then there's the rest of us. There were super saints and now there's us. That is not correct. And the Bible goes out of its way over and over and over to tell you that. I'm going to have us soak in three of those passages right now. Acts chapter 3 verse 12. It says, and when Peter saw it, saw what? People being amazed that he and John had just made a crippled guy come, uh, be able to stand up who had never walked. Okay, let's pause that for a moment. They're going to temple. Guys never walked. And he said, silver or gold, I do not have because the guy was begging. He said, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it said, the man got to his feet and he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You know what I find so fascinating about that miracle? Not only is it, hey, a guy's leg suddenly just transformed right in front of everybody. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Here's what blows my mind. Coordination. You understand that? He's never walked. How do you know balance? How do you know equilibrium? How do you have any idea on what it means to be upright? How do you have any idea how these things work? Just because you got powerful ones doesn't mean you know how to balance. Doesn't mean you know how to put one in front of the other. Doesn't mean you know how to what? Suddenly jump and run around? That to me is an even bigger miracle than just making his muscles strong and his legs come alive. That miracle was done by the apostles, Peter and John, Peter just called it out, made it so, boom, this guy's up and running. When Peter saw that the people were all amazed at him for what he just did, he addressed the people. You ready for this? Might want to underline this one too. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, holiness, that we made him walk? Meaning that is ridiculous. Why are you staring at us? The God of Abraham, verse 13, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Go to verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Why are you staring at us as if by our own power or by our own holiness we made this guy walk we didn't john's like dude i know peter and i I attest to that absolutely that guy's messed up there's all kinds of weirdness about him so yeah he's he's regular right let's go to chapter four in acts 429 All the apostles were gathered in and they were beaten and threatened to never talk about Jesus again. And it says, and now, Lord, they're all praying to God because they're freaked out. They're scared because they're regular people. This is post-Pentecost. They're still scared. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the people that never said to never speak of Jesus again, and grant to your servants to continue 
to speak your word with all boldness because we're afraid. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What's the point? It wasn't them. Lord, just let us do ministry while you bring the power. Let's go one more. Acts 14. Jump to chapter 14. I'm going to drive this point home. This is, this is what's called kicking a dead horse or whatever they call it. I mean, beating a dead horse, I guess is what it's called. There we go. You can't kick it. I, I guess you can. It's just laying there. I mean, it's not going to go anywhere. Acts 14, 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul were not yet with the apostles of the 12, these are other guys, Barnabas and Paul, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, meaning people wanted to sacrifice to them thinking that they were gods because of their amazing healing of a crippled person, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd and cried out, verse 15, underline this, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men just like you. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, if you have one of those, is the apostles were normal people just like us. The apostles were normal people just like us. Little background on this passage that we're about to read together and we'll have the, the scripture. It's a blended gospel of, of different accounts of Jesus calling the 12 apostles. What's intriguing is, is that John doesn't really have a list. But when he does talk about it, he talks about how Jesus had to sift the huge crowd and began to select out 12. Mark and Luke do the same thing. Matthew doesn't record the calling at all. He only names them in a list when he talks about when God empowers them to go out on their own. So what are we going to do? We're going to take all those lists. We're going to put it together because in a later message, I'm going to tell you about his empowerment of them. And when they began to do the extraordinary on their own right now, I'm only interested that you get to know who these men were so that you realize they are no different than we are. So let's go ahead and throw the scripture up on the screen. Let's begin here. It says, in these days, he, Jesus, went out to and up upon the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Why? He was about to select out 12 of his followers that he was going to pour his life into for the next three years. He was going to hand off the entire ministry to these guys. They were going to go bring that to life. He knew that he had a very short amount of time. He had three years to launch a world revolution. And he wanted to select them out. And you go, well, Jesus is God. So, I mean, you kind of know who the right ones are. Remember what I've been saying this entire series. Jesus was giving us an example being fully human on what a life surrendered to God looks like. He had to go to the Father to get this information. He did not have it intuitively. Remember, he is blindfolded spiritually. 
He's listening for downloads from his dad. He is just as we are trying to track on God, he's tracking on his father. In the same way that we wait for guidance, he was waiting for guidance. So when he was going to select out the 12 very specific men to carry on this ministry, what did he do? He prayed all night long. Now, if Jesus just had the little magic beans and could figure everything out, why did he have to pray so long? Why couldn't he have just done it in an instant? Hey, guy, you, 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 you with a funny hat, you. Right? Calls them all up. Shouldn't he have done that? He didn't. He prayed all night long. You know why that's important? Because that's an example for us. When's the last time you prayed all night long? I'll bet you anything it had to do with some type, if you've ever done it at all, it usually had some type of emergency attached to it. And you probably couldn't sleep. That's why you prayed all night long. Jesus modeled for us behavior that when we need to seek God in a very important way, even if it's not critical, it takes a while to get in. It takes a while to stop our brain from screaming out every distraction in the world. It takes a while for us to mellow out. It takes us a while to get locked in. And then we're discerning and then we're listening. If it was so easy, then why in the world wouldn't Jesus just go, Dad, give me the list. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. All right, cool. Well, let's roll. All night long. That is a role model for us. And when day came. Understand, he hadn't slept all night. He's still rolling. They don't know what he did all night. Somebody did because they wrote it down. Right? But not everybody knows what's going on. And when day came, he called to him his disciples. Those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he chose from them twelve. A couple important pieces you need to track on. Jesus had thousands of followers. People wanted to follow Jesus for a whole variety of reasons. It's the same reason why we have uh, a lot of churches that have lots of people, right? I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons why we get around Jesus. Sometimes it's to see the miracles of him and the casting of demons and the flash and the show and all that. They were around him for that. Some of them were poor and they wanted to be around him because he would feed them. There was a lot of reasons why people were around him. But the Bible says over and over, huge crowds followed Jesus. There were thousands of followers. And out of that thousands, there were hundreds of disciples. A disciple means you are not just interested in, but you want to duplicate. So you learn from, you role model, you pattern after, you memorize and act out accordingly. That's what a disciple is. Jesus had hundreds of them. Out of those disciples who he passionately loves, didn't mean that he didn't love them just because he didn't select them. He called out 12 to be apostles. Apostles means sent out ones. He called 12 to be sent out ones that were special. They were not special because of their innate ability. They were special because of the role they were about to fulfill. What we need to realize is that when we are loved by Jesus, he has special things for us to do. 
And it has nothing to do with whether or not you're equipped to do it. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're smart enough, fast enough, wealthy enough. None of that matters. What he will determine is what needs to get done, and then he'll get one of his kids on it. And then he taps you on the shoulder and says, it's your turn. You're going to go, but I'm not qualified. He said, then I guess I get more glory, huh? Out of that 12, he selected three to be what was called the inner three. They got to be with him in everything. They would be what we would consider best friends. Peter, James, John, they were with him everywhere he went. They got to see stuff no one else saw. So he chose from them 12 whom he named and appointed. That means put them on the task, apostles. Why? So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Key phrase right there, that they might be with him. There is no discipleship without being with Jesus continually. There is no, I read a book, I'm now a disciple. There is no, I have scripture memorized, I'm a disciple. There is no, I know about Jesus, I'm a disciple. There is, I am with Jesus and I'm a disciple. And the purpose was that they would be with him with significant time spent. One of the things that is becoming clearer and clearer to me, the older I get and the more ministry I do, is that ministry cannot be done as fast as I would like it to be done. And it takes time and it takes closeness. And that is what our society is fighting the most. If we do not spend time with together, we do not rub off on each other. If we do not spend time together, we do not get the richness of community. If we do not make time for it, it's never going to happen. And what I'm finding is it requires more and more connection time. It requires more community for transformation. Now, Pastor Jason, who was teaching to you a little bit earlier today, he actually has recorded a midweek challenge on this very issue, the idea of kingdom and covenant, the the same title about the book that he's going to be sharing soon with us, the idea that we are not just supposed to have info on Jesus, but to live with Jesus and then duplicate that out and replace uh, not replace him, but um, duplicate his life and pattern everything that he's doing and start pouring it out with other people. The process of discipleship is doing life with one another. And if we're not doing that, we're going to miss out. Look at, just uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The midweek challenge, by the way, that he records are both on the city and on a Facebook post. And they're usually posted on Wednesday if you want to take a look at that this coming Wednesday. The heart of discipleship is being with Jesus, going for Jesus, and being Jesus to other people. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they, the religious leaders who had arrested the apostles... When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had what? Been with Jesus. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. There was evidence and fruit of their connection to Jesus that was undeniable. What made the difference in these 12? They had been with Jesus. That is available to us. We could be with Jesus. And you look at it and go, well, no, we can't. I mean, he was, it was 2,000 years ago. He's walking around and they got all the benefit of hanging with him and laughing with him, playing football with him. And, and they're, you know, watching TV with him and, and they had meals with him. And then they got to learn from him and ask him questions and everything. And, and their life was awesome because they got to walk with Jesus. Do you realize Jesus said, it is better that I go away so that I will send you the Comforter, one just like me, meaning that the Holy Spirit who he's going to send is operating the better plan, because not only is he just like Jesus in guidance, but he's internal and goes with you. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit goes home with us. The Holy Spirit goes to work with us. The Holy Spirit's power is with us all the time. Let me just emphasize this before we move forward. It is critical that we realize that what God wants us to do, he'll enable us to do. And that we all have multiple callings on our life. We, it is not one, man, I wonder what God's calling is for my life. Stop saying that. Here's your calling. Live with Jesus every day and live out his life in you moment by moment. He's got millions of callings on you. Every moment you're moving, he's got something going on through you. Don't wait around. I wonder what my great calling is. Your great calling is a connection with Jesus. Now start living that out. We get all frozen up. I bet I missed my calling. What do you mean? Your calling is to be Jesus in this world. You didn't miss it. It's right here, right now. It's constant. It's every day. It's engaging with the Lord all the time. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into who they are. Let's go ahead and, and take a look. Well, it's already there. Fantastic. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I want, I want you to get to know the guys. So let me just, let me do a real, real quick, uh, synopsis of who these guys are. Simon, to whom he gave the name and is called Peter. All right. So his Hebrew name is Simeon or Simon, right? Uh, Simon's the Greek version of the Hebrew Simeon. He's later named the rock, right? Exactly like the wrestler. It's the same thing. (laughs) They look similar. It's funny because Simon was also known as Dwayne Johnson, which is very, (laughs) he had a little bit of a career in the movies, but anyway, he's renamed the rock. Kephas, or Peter. Uh, that was not at all what everyone thought him to be, right? We all are familiar with that. Loudmouth, impetuous, go off the handle, cut people's ears off. That's Peter. Peter is the, I'm diving into the water to go hang out with Jesus. Peter is, I'll go walk on water. Peter is always all over the map. And y'all know, if you're in a crew with one of those type of people, they're irritating. Great stories, but dang, they're always wrecking your day. I don't know how many times you've been with someone that just randomly hacks someone's ear off, but it's uncomfortable, I'll tell you that. 
he was the older brother of two. He had a brother named Andrew. And so we're going to kind of rapidly go through that. There's a couple things that you may not remember about him, but he was married. And this is the part you need to wind your mind around. The whole time he's a disciple and he's a missionary, his wife's with him. They're a team. She's a part of the crew. And you go, what is that like? Because we always picture every one of these guys was approximately 28 years old and single. Right? That's how we always picture it. They were not. They were old and young. They were all varied backgrounds. And some of them had wives. Some of them were around their siblings. It was a big mixed up group. So let, let's just keep going through. He was born in a fishing village with his brother, Andrew, uh, called Bethsaida. But later he moved and owned a home in Capernaum, which was their home base. Jesus hung out. His mother-in-law lived with them, right? She was part of the household as well. And he was a fisherman. He was part of a whole big family business along with the Zebedee's kids. We'll talk about them in a moment. But he was first introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew, who was a former disciple of John the Baptist. And then he gets a chance, as you've heard preached already in this series, he gets a chance to not only hear about Jesus, meet Jesus, then he gets to hear Jesus preach in his own boat, then he sees Jesus do a miracle, and then he's all in. And he's like, I'm quitting the fishing business, I'm going into the people business, and his life was never the same. He was one of the inner three and in the leading spokesman of the apostles. Did everyone like that? Probably not. Andrew, his brother, Andrew is a Greek name meaning manly. Just name your kid stud. That's what Andrew means. Peter's younger brother. He was the one that was almost the first disciple of Jesus. Because he was walking with John the Baptist one day. And we've already talked about him a lot. He's walking with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist goes, there's the Messiah over there on the other side of the street. And Andrew's like, uh, then I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> You're not the Messiah, so I'm going to go over there. And he went and left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. First one. He goes back and tells Peter, his brother, the older one, dude, you got to meet this guy. Wild. I think he's it. Well, sure enough, here's a couple things that I find interesting about Andrew. There was a fishing business that had four of the boys together. It was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And yet there was an inner three of Peter, James, and John. Who was left out? Andrew. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But do you think that caused problems? I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Maybe he was still connected in with some of the John the Baptist stuff. But John the Baptist had been already imprisoned and beheaded. And so what was keeping him out? How about your brother being selected and you not being selected to be in the inner three? Did he have other things going on? There are challenges all the way around. So there was Simon Peter and there was Andrew and there was James and John. James is the English equivalent of Jacob or Jacobus in Greek, born to Zebedee and Salome. How about those names? Those are awesome. Mom and dad, Zebedee and Salome. Salome was one of the disciples what their moms with them james and john james is the older john's the younger salome was there at the beginning and salome was there at the foot of the cross salome was there at the garden tomb 
their moms around. You know what else is trippy? It is believed. I don't know why I just had puberty there. Sorry. You know what, you know what else is trippy? Is it is, if it is listed the way we think it's listed, it says that Salome was a sister of Mary. Mary who? Jesus' mom. That would make the James and John first cousins to Jesus. Is that going to be weird? Yeah, kind of. They were called the sons of thunder. Why? Most people believe it's because of their temperament, right? Here's what they would do. They were on fire in hardcore and they didn't stop for anyone or anything. One of their most famous stories is they go through a Samaritan village and the Samaritan village rejects Jesus. They're ticked off as they're walking out of the village. They go, Lord, master, can we call down fire and burn them all alive? Jesus is like, dude, that's not the point. We're not, we're not, no, we're not just going to burn everyone that doesn't agree with us. That's not going to happen. And they're like, whatever. I mean, they didn't care. They're the ones that step forward and they go, hey, Jesus, real quick, word, word, real quick. So you go to heaven and you're going to have at least a chair on your right and left. So could that just be me and John? You think that's not going to tick everybody off? They didn't care. They were blasting forward. These guys were intense. So you got James, the older John, the little one. It is believed by most scholars that John was the youngest in the entire group. Not only how long he lived, but where he sat at the last supper. He leaned against Jesus's chest. He became known as the beloved. So we have James, who was the first apostle to be martyred. James went out very quick after Jesus was gone. He was killed by the sword. By King Herod Agrippa I, the first apostle to go down, John was remaining. John is my favorite apostle for only one reason. He got to be closest to Jesus. And that's what I want. He was not just with Jesus. He sat next to Jesus. He hung with Jesus. He was always around Jesus. And so he got the nickname, the one that Jesus loved. Jesus loved them all, but he was special. He gave them the name Boanerges, sons of thunder. He was an author of the gospel of John, first, second, third John, revelation. That's John. John was the one so near to Jesus. John was the one that would talk for Jesus. John was the one that at the foot of the cross, when Jesus was going to die, he looked over at his mom and he said, Hey, John, can you take care of my mom for me? And John said, Yes, I can. Tradition says that after he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he received the book of Revelation, he was later released and went back to Ephesus and that he had a house there and Mary had a house there and he took care of her until the day that she died. She was his aunt and Jesus could trust him. Hmm. We got a couple other guys in here that we don't know as much about. We have Philip and his name means fond of horses. I have no idea what that has to do with anything. He was called by Jesus as one of the first disciples and he turns around and grabs a guy by the name Nathaniel who we can't find in any lists. That's why most scholars believe that he's the next guy. Who's the next guy? Bartholomew. The, the name Bartholomew is only a title. It means son of Tolmai. It, it's not a name, it's a description. And when God met Nathaniel, when Jesus met Nathaniel, he said, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false and Nathaniel said of Jesus at the beginning, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. That guy's pretty hardcore. Don't know much about Bart, but he's pretty awesome. What about Matthew, the tax collector? 
known as Levi in his Hebrew name. He was renamed Gift of God. That's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, super unpopular, worked for the Roman government and got taxes. Nobody likes the IRS, especially if you work for them. I'm sorry. It's even worse when the oppressing government is Rome and you're working for them and all your buddies are gouging everyone of your own countrymen in a religious circle, which the Jews were. They were unclean. Their family was unclean. They were not allowed to be witnesses. They were not allowed to be judges. They were cast out and cast away and they were refused to allow to be in synagogue. They were the sinners. That was Matthew. One slight oddity is that Matthew's dad's name was Alphaeus. There is another disciple named Simon, the son of Alphaeus. Were they brothers? I don't know. Excuse me, James, the son of Alphaeus. Let's talk about Thomas. Y'all know Thomas? Everybody gives him a bad reputation. Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas, right? He's always the doubting guy. What we don't realize is that before that, he had a very clear public announcement, I will go and die for my Jesus. He was hardcore. James, the son of Alphaeus, another James in the group, got nicknamed James the Less. They believed that that was because he was younger than the other James, who was a big deal, a part of the crew. There's Simon, who was called the Zealot, which if he was part of the terrorist organization, the Zealots, he had committed in his life to kill anyone that supported Rome, which included Matthew, the tax collector. There's Judas, the son of James, also known as Thaddeus. And then there was Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, who betrayed him. He was the treasurer of the group, dipping his hand into the bag, stealing. When he turned bad, I have no idea. Jesus knew it. Here's the point. Regular guys, regular problems, lacking faith, afraid, confused. Let me talk about team dynamics for a second. We always look and we go, then there's these 12 and they all like 300 locked together like this. And they always fought together. Ridiculous. Let me just bring up a couple thoughts. When you have brothers and family, we have two brother groups, James and John, Peter and Andrew. We possibly have cousin connections. We have moms involved and we have wives involved. Is there going to be any family drama? Are you kidding me? It's not just family drama like they're on a vacation. It's people are trying to kill you drama. It is intensified, pressurized because Jesus didn't just have male disciples. He had female disciples. The women ran the entire operation financially. They were the ones paying for everything. They provided for his needs, which is what disciples do. You remember when Mary and Martha were with Jesus and Martha was distracted by many things. What was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Who sits at the feet of Jesus? Disciples only. What she was doing at that moment was fulfilling the function of a disciple. And that was tripping Martha out and she didn't quite know what to do with that. What about the fact that that we have a tax collector and a zealot in the same group? When tempers flare, what's going to happen? He had already sworn to kill anybody like him. You think they got along? Or did Jesus pair him up on purpose? What about the sons of thunder and the loudmouths? It says, and they all got in a dispute about who was the greatest. You think there wasn't jealousy problems? 
I don't know, today, dude, I raised someone from the dead. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying he was, he was dead, like all the way dead. And, and, and I've been looking over your stat report and you got like, oh, guy was like, had a hurt arm or something. You know, it was just, I'm just saying. When you're talking about miraculous, when you're talking about life changing, when you're talking about the Messiah, when you're talking about pressures and what that's not going to arouse all the jealousy and fighting. Hmm. We all go, it would have been so great to just hang out with Jesus. Do you realize the disciples were lost a lot? And they didn't fully get it till after the resurrection. It's not quite as easy as you think. What happens when you ask Jesus a clarifying question and it's more complicated than your original question? If I could only ask Jesus a question, go ahead, try that. See how that works out for you. Bottom line is this. Engaging with God is different. It's challenging whether you're with him in person or living in the modern world. It's always been regular people trying to relate and be related to and loved by an infinite God. There's always going to be slippage this side of heaven. It says that we know in part and we see in part. But then, someday, we'll see him face to face. But until then, it's messy. And until then, it's just a bunch of regular folks with an extraordinary God. Your life is in God's hands. And when it's in God's hands, it's more than enough for the job. I want you to walk out of this place excited, invigorated, realizing that the disciples were just like us. Messed up and complicated and regular, but God worked through them and did incredible things. Worlds were changed because of regular people. I want you to know that the resources are in God's pocket, not ours. And God plus nothing is majority. I want us to realize that we are just doing what we were built to do and we were built to be with Jesus. If God ever asks you to do something, he'll enable you to complete it. So when we go to prayer at home in your living room, God, what is my calling? Your calling is to be me and be with me. What do you want me to do today, Lord? Whatever I direct you to do. God, I'm nervous. Good, you should be. I'm not afraid of anything or anyone. And I will walk you anywhere I want. And I will do through you anything that needs to get done. Stop focusing on yourself so much. and Start focusing on the power of the Lord that is over you. And little by little, we begin to get into our minds that it's all right to be ordinary as long as we serve someone extraordinary. Amen?